But before that, let's just take a moment and be uh, silent. Let's just ask the Lord in this time as we've worshipped him, we've given him our gifts, and we've sent some of our loved ones off. Um, let's just ask God to speak to us, to do anything that he wants to do in our own hearts this morning. So we'll take a moment of silence. Lord, in the best way that we can right now, we yield ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, work in our minds and in our hearts. These spirits that you have renewed and recreated, fill us again with your Holy Spirit. We long to be uh, the people of your pasture. We long to be the carriers of your presence everywhere we go. We desperately long for the world to know what we know, that Jesus has been sent for us that the love of the Father has been expressed and the power of the Holy Spirit is available and the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy is here. So, Lord, do what only you can do. Make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, what I want to do for the next uh, 25 or 30 minutes, honestly, is is really just share my heart. Uh, I think that's the best thing that I can do. Uh, Jen and I have been here since 2001, right? So uh, 14 years or so. And um, I don't think, no, I know for sure. I have never been excited for what God wants to do in and through our church than I am right now. I mean, literally never felt the sense of expectation that God's going to move in us. I already see it happening. Uh, People are happening, if you know what I mean. Every, every week, people come into my office or I see them in their workplaces, and I'm just experiencing people happening. We've been talking over the last year about maturity and sort of stepping into the next level of maturity, and people are doing it. And it's one of the reasons that God's calling some of us away to other states and other countries is because we've said, yes, I will grow up. And God said, okay, your roots are too big. Time to plant you somewhere where there's a desperate need for the presence of Jesus. So my guess is we're going to be praying a lot of people out in the next couple of months because we're growing up. And what God's doing is making room for a lot more to come behind them. Those people that we get to cultivate, that we get to pour into. So I've been in this vineyard 14 years. I've been around the vineyard for 25 or so. And I've heard the vineyard as a church described in a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. I've heard it described as a family, as a hospital, as an army as a training school, a kingdom outpost, as a battleship. I mean, we'll do anything, right? I've heard all those names, and it seems to me that during seasons, all of those descriptors of the vineyard as a church, they make sense. In their season, they make sense. But five years ago, God spoke to me about a farm. And as you can tell by the farmiest clothes I have, I'm not a big farmer guy, all right? I got a hat at the fair. I'll put that on later for you. But God spoke to me about a farm. So I want to ask you in this next season in the vineyard, this next year or two or decade or so, to think about our church as a farm. And so you should be asking yourself, Randy, why a farm? Okay, You can say that out loud if you like. Thank you. Feedback. 
And this, this is my reasoning, because a farm is all of those things. A farm is a family, right? Did you know that 97% of all the farms in the U.S. are family-owned today? We think about big agriculture, right? 97% of all the family farms, most of the food that we eat, that we take in, it's grown in family farms, those farms, 97%. We, a farm is a family, right? I mean, you think of a farmstead, you think of this, you think of a little house and, you know, 100 or so kids, right? Right? Because farmers had to have a lot of kids because they needed laborers. The next generation was crucial Right. The next generation was crucial to their livelihood in order to the family for the family to be propagated, not just children, but workers, laborers, loved ones in the harvest field. So think of it as a farm, the vineyard as a farm, because the farm is a family and a farm is also a hospital, an outpost of life and growth and sacrifice and love. And who grew up on a farm? Anybody? You grew up on a farm. This is awesome. Okay. Now, Jenny, I didn't, we didn't, you know, we've never spoken before, right? Um, if you're out on the farm and you get hurt, what's the first thing that you do out on the farm when you were growing up on a farm? Where would you go? Who, who was the medic? My mother. My mother. Thank you. Money for you afterwards. Right? Not 911, your cell phone from the field back in those days probably, Right? No, your family is the medic, right? Your family is the hospital. The farm has to be a hospital because you're out there laboring. You really don't have time in that outpost of the kingdom to get an EMT there or whatever. I mean, when you need help, you go to your family on the farm. They are your emotional help, your physical help, your spiritual help. A farm is a family and a farm is a hospital. And a farm is an army, right? We can call it a farmy if we want to. I have to get all my jokes out first, Sarah, because we only have one. <laughs> a farm is an army. So think about this with me. Really, a, an army? If you're on a farm, a family farm, you have 100 or 200 acres, and you have chickens and cows and goats and fields, right? And the vandals, the varmints, the critters come. Who's going to defend your life and livelihood? You can't call in a guard, right? You pull out your gun. You go out to the field and you face the enemy, whoever they may be, right? So the the farm is an army. Think about it. We are Americans, most of us in here. We are Americans. In 1790, that's 15 years after our revolution, 14 years after our revolution, still a full 90% of the workforce were farmers. 90% of the workforce were farmers. Who fought the American Revolution? I mean, it was farmers, right? Now, I did some study on this, and, you know, other people have other things to say. We like to make the farmers glorious, right? Well, it wasn't all that glorious. But without the farmers, we would have no country. Without the farmers who laid down their hoes and their shovels and got their hands dirty, not just in the dirt of the field, but in the battlefield, we would have no freedom. So I want you to think about the vineyard, this church, as a farm, because the farm is a family, and the farm is a hospital, and the farm is an army, and the farm is a training school, right? The far- the, the, you can't learn to farm by going to school. I'm sorry, I know that my son-in-law is a Purdue graduate, and he's probably here somewhere. Okay. You, you don't learn to farm by going to school. You can learn principles. Awesome. 
but you don't really know how to farm, in my humble non-farming opinion, until you've stuck your hands in the dirt, right? You learn to farm by farming. So the, 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 the farm is a, a training school. It's a place where you learn. You learn to farm by farming. You learn to share your faith by sharing your faith. You learn to disciple in the church by discipling in the church. You learn to heal the sick by healing the sick. It's hands-on training school. That's what the church is about. We're a training place. You learn to worship and pray by worshiping and praying. How many people walked into the vineyard for the first time? I did it 20-some years ago. Walked into the vineyard for the first time, and even though you knew the Lord, you walked into a vineyard church, and they strummed on their guitar, and you started to cry. That was my experience. I just thought, what's going on here? What if they put in the communion juice, right? (laughs) And it wasn't that. It was the Holy Spirit present. It was, a, it was a group of people that had learned how to worship. And I learned how to worship by worshiping with those people, by watching them. So the, the farm is also a training school, and that's what the church is. And I'm going to ask you in these next couple of months, in this next season in the vineyard, to be on the farm. Literally to get your hands dirty. To get your hands dirty. To get into it. Jane and I were walking. I shouldn't tell this. Yes, thanks. That's all I needed. <laughs> Jane and I were walking earlier this week. We take a walk pretty much every day around our neighborhood. Occasionally we lapse into a run, but mainly walk. We were walking around our neighborhood, and I was thinking about this, you know, the farmstead and thinking about the message and how do I present, you know, discipleship is really what we want to talk about. And so I'm like, yeah, but it's got to be about dirt, you know. Like I said, how about, like, dirty discipleship? And Jane, this is great. Jane says, you just did a three-week series on sex. Let's, uh, let's just refrain from using the word dirty as a descriptor for a little while, right? Okay, so I'm not going there, all right? It's a farm image, all right? It's a farm image. Get your hands dirty. Get your hands dirty. This is for every generation in our church. Kids love to play with dirt. Why does Jesus say, if you really want to be faithful, if you really want to know what I'm doing, look, look at the kids. What are the kids doing? They're eating dirt. <laughs> They're forming, right? They're creating. They're practicing their God-given creative skills by playing in the dirt. And that's what I'm calling you to. That's what the elders and the leaders of the vineyard are calling you to in this next season. Get your hands dirty. Jump right in. The purpose of a farm is to plant seed, to cultivate life, and to bring a harvest, right? Plant seed, cultivate life, and bring a harvest. And none of that happens without hands getting dirty. You know, we took those, those videos. We did some of those video shoots. I got another one for you in a minute. And, um, you know, we were out on the farm. And, you know, all I had to do was stand there, right? But I came off the farm dirty because I touched the seed and I touched the soil. And we tramped through the fields, right? I mean, seeds don't get in the ground. Life isn't cultivated. Harvest doesn't come unless our hands get dirty, unless we go out there and give it a whirl. Life on life, people on people, Right? The kingdom of God taking over the kingdom of darkness in the world. That's what we're about. I went to the fair the other day. I'll show you my hat. This is also why I don't wear a hat a lot. But I just want to be, okay, so I can can do that. I got got a hat at the farm, uh, the fair. That's all I got. (laughs) Later for the picnic. 
Here's what I learned. I mean, the fair is high tech these days. We went into the glass barn. That's where I got the hat. You learn so much about agriculture, about how we as humans cooperate with God, the only one who can create seed and soil and bring rain and growth, right? But all the technology that we have to cooperate with God. Still, God simply did not design planting and cultivating and reaping to be easy or sterile or detached. Even the fancy tractor I got to get in that has, you know, has a CD player and air conditioning and everything, eventually you got to get out of that tractor and play with the muck, right? If you really want to want to be in the harvest. So I'm going to ask you to cooperate with God in the vineyard to see a harvest of worshipers for Jesus. We've been promised. Byron Easterling came from California a few months ago and he said, you know, and this was what got him in the service that day. He started to cry because he said the, the promises for this vineyard have not yet been realized. It, just this Friday, we're going to have a memorial service for Bill Jackson, the, the founder, the planter of this church. And the promises given to Jacks that have been handed down through the generations of disciples in this church have not yet been realized. Just because Jacks is in heaven doesn't mean the promises don't get to become realized on earth. Right. It's what we get to do. I mean, the, 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 the baton has been passed to us. And we get to see the kingdom come here. I'll have to get my hands dirty. You'll have to get your hands dirty. I'm asking, are you ready to get your hands dirty? Are you ready to cooperate with God, whatever it takes for us to reach the lost and to bring back the strays and to see the wounded healed and to see the weak strengthened? Because Bless you. Because that's our calling, to send blessing like that into the world. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Um, all right. If you could hit the lights back there. Aaron, would you mind hitting the lights? The goal of planting a field is to produce a harvest, a crop. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he told us to pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest, to send workers into his harvest field. And so we pray for the Farmstead Project, but we don't just pray. We also want to be those workers. We want to be those followers of Jesus, those disciples who make disciples, those equipped and empowered people. Every generation in our church sent into those communities, into those fields where God has given us influence, authority, and presence. We want to cultivate life together. We want to share our resources together. We want to send transformed people into the world to bring the transforming presence of Jesus. The Farmstead Project. Planting roots and cultivating life together. About five years ago, can I have some more lights in? About five years ago, I was standing on this stage, five, seven years, I don't remember. There was a conference here. Some people were praying for me and Jane. I don't remember what the people were praying, but I had a vision. And it was as clear a vision as I've ever had in my life. I'm standing literally right here. And um, I saw in my mind so clear, I saw this uh, farmstead. I I didn't even know the word farmstead at that point, but I saw a farm. It was clearly a family farm. Cute little sort of red house, you know, and a barn. And I saw these fields. I saw the house, the barn, and I saw these fields, like multiplying fields. 
just the beautiful fields that you picture, you know, like amber waves of grain, but they were untilled fields. They were, they were just laying fallow. And the sun was rising, so I could see these fields going out towards the sunrise. And I just said, Lord, what are you saying? And the Lord spoke real clearly, clearly to me. He basically said, your vineyard, your church is like a family farm. And I'm giving you a choice. You can produce enough to feed yourselves, and that's okay. There's, there's no harm, no foul, no disobedience. Or he said, and I remember really clearly, you can bear enough to bless the world. You can produce enough to, to feed yourselves, or you can bear enough to bless the world. And I know at that time in my heart and in the heart of many leaders, we decided we don't want to be just a self-sufficient farm. We're created for more than that. There's certainly no sin in caring for yourself, right? That's what family is about. But God gave us the offer of increased impact. He showed me fields, fields untilled. And we are the workers in those fields. God said we can actually bear enough to bless the world. Now, we will not be the sole blessers of the world, right? But what God is saying to us as a vineyard church right now, our farm, is it's time to step back up, step up into the next level of maturity to begin to train those next workers who will go out into those fields and grow whatever I call them to grow. Whatever... I call them to grow. It's really important. My heart, the heart of this church, is not to just simply replicate what we do here on a Sunday in a thousand places. No, because the places that God will send you will plant you, and the gifts with which he's empowered you are different. So your fruit will look different than our fruit. Wherever God sends you to a field, He's going to give you specific gifts to till that field. Any uh, winemakers out there? Okay. Yeah, we got one, and we also have a family pastor who makes wine. <clears throat> Why do you think those kids are so happy? Just a joke. There's a, there's a winemaking term, all right? I'm going to try to do this in French. Don't, don't hurt me. It's terroir. Terroir. And that term just means the type of soil that you're growing your vineyard, your, your plants in, the type of soil that the vine is rooted in, and the terroir, the soil determines the type of fruit. You, you determine what you'll plant and what kind of fruit you get by the soil that God's given you. And so think about this. God has given us this, this offer of increased impact. All of the fields that you will plant and cultivate and harvest. Your neighborhoods, your workplaces, some other cities in central Indiana, some other states in our nation, some other countries in the world where God's going to be calling us. And God has uh, given you the correct gifts to plant what will grow there. It'll all be fruit that worships Jesus. It'll all be disciples making disciples, but it will look different. Because you don't have to be like us. We want to equip and empower you to be Jesus out there. Whatever Jesus would look like in your skin, that's what we long for, right? That's spiritual formation. We're a church. We're a farm. We're one farm, but God's given us this increased impact. He's given us many fields. And, and listen real carefully. You live 
and work in those fields right now. You don't have to wonder, where will God send me? He's already done it. He's already done it. So sure, maybe there's some, we'll send people out to different places, right? They'll grow up and they'll grow out. That's okay. But for most of us right now in this next year, we, have, we are already the place to which he sent us. You're there. You don't have to wonder. He sent you. He's planting you. He's nurturing you right there. You live in those fields. Our call as a church right now is not to make prettier pansies or to build bigger buildings. It's to invest in people who will go out and plant the seed of the kingdom in the culture, in the fields that he's put out there. Put us in, right? Does Indianapolis, does central Indiana need a revival for Jesus or not? They they do. We do. Every one of our neighborhoods, every one of our homes, every one of our workplaces, every one of our schools needs a revival. I mean, we are simply not going to make it on man-made effort or great marketing schemes or catchy music. We need a revival that the Holy Spirit brings because people are being presented with Jesus in flesh over and over and over again. Our call is to invest in, to disciple, to equip and empower each and every one of us, every generation. Barry's over there with the children right now. He's got overalls. I look like Mr. Green Jeans. He's got overalls. He plays the part, right? Hat. I think he's got some straw, a bunch of tools. They're talking about the parable of the sower. Because you know what God's given to us? Children with great hearts, great soil. And if we can invest in that next generation, if we can cultivate their hearts to receive the seed of the kingdom, revival's coming to Indianapolis. How do we know that revival doesn't start in a second grade class? I mean, why do we... Let's just be honest as I go off script for a second, right? Why do we think that revival will come the way revival has always come? In a prayer meeting, right? Or in a church? Or in a college, an institution? I wonder if revival will come while two women are having coffee at a Starbucks. I wonder if revival will come while some mom is changing a diaper. Or some woman's leading a business. And right in the middle of their meeting, she turns to God and revival comes. Or some second grade class, some second grader prays for someone and they get healed and revival comes. How do we know how it's going to come? So we've got to invest in the next generation. The final command of Jesus before he left the field of the world for the glories of heaven was not build the church. The final command of Jesus was this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus said, all authority was given to me. He didn't turn around and say, build the church. He said, make disciples. I mean, it's really clear. Of all the things commanded by Jesus, other than love God and one another, this most important command, make disciples. Form people for Jesus who will be able to turn around and form people for Jesus. Make disciples is the command. In Matthew 16, 
Jesus is talking to Peter, and Peter has this revelation from heaven. Uh, roughly, this is how the story goes. Jesus talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter's just kind of on the verge of trying to figure out this Jesus character, right? And Peter says, well, you know, as some say, like John the Baptist or Elijah, I don't know. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter turns to Jesus and he says, I imagine with characteristic Peter boldness, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because man did not reveal this to you, but heaven has revealed this to you. And then Jesus said, you are Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. He never told Peter to build the church. Peter expressed his faith in Jesus. He said, upon that rock, upon that faith, Peter, not your great wisdom, not your slick marketing plan, not your, you know, stick your foot in your mouth uh, attitude that Peter always had. No, on your faith, I will build my church. And then just to make sure Peter really gets it, and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? That's the promise of Jesus. He says, make disciples and I'll build the church. So who builds the church? Jesus builds the church. And our job, our opportunity to cooperate with Jesus is simply in making disciples. You know what that means? We express our faith in Jesus to another person. Who can express their faith in Jesus to another person? Who can express their faith in Jesus to another person? That's what discipleship is in its simplest form. We express our faith and Jesus builds the church. The Farmstead Project that we're going to be talking about for the next few months is the vineyard's answer to Jesus' command to make disciples who make disciples. It describes the vision of equipping and empowering people in all generations to go make disciples who make disciples. How many of you feel right now, like, really confident, if I gave you a brand new Christian, you could say, I will teach them how to be a disciple of Jesus, and that would be easy for you? How many? We we have a few. We have a few. I want to see 400. I want to see 400. When I ask that question one year from now, I, I expect that every person sitting here who's still sitting here in one year goes just like this. I could do that. I know how to do that. I've worked on the farm. I know how to plant. I know how to till. I know how to cultivate. I know how to weed. Yes, there is some weeding involved in discipleship. I know how to encourage. I know how to pray. Planting isn't an easy promise. Uh, Easy, um, what is it? Planting is not an easy process, right? It's not easy to plant. Especially the way they used to do it. Pluck those babies in, one after the other, right? You have to be intentional when you're planting. Uh, Jane and I tried to do a garden about 10 years ago. We've had some more successful gardens, but the one I planned was this. I got a package of seeds, and it said wildflowers, and it had a picture of a spectacular garden, all right? So um, I uh, took a bunch of grass out of a spot, and I kind of dug up the ground a little bit, and I took the seeds, and I threw them in. And I prayed, God, make a garden, right? Not particularly successful. 
our successful gardens are, are, happen when we intentionally take the weeds out, cultivate the soil, put some stuff in there, right? Put some secret soil juice in there to make it really rich and then decide where we're going to plant each one and how much space it needs. That's what cultivating life looks like. That's what discipleship looks like. That's what planting in the kingdom looks like. We are going to learn as a church to plant roots by equipping each other and empowering one another to give away the love and the power of God, to become disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. And so what that means is that in the next one to two years, I'm about to make a big promise, every single one of you will have the opportunity to be intentionally discipled to be a follower of Jesus. If you've been following Jesus for 30 years, but you weren't able to raise your hand, no shame. But in one year's time, one and a half year's time, my, my hope is that every single one of you will be able to say, I can do that. Because you will have had the opportunity for someone to come along and take you, maybe once a week, a couple times a month, and pour into you. And go through the scriptures with you, and pray with you, and give you some real simple discipleship gardening tools so that you can go out and plant that field that God's given you. Use the influence that God's given you. Use the presence that God's given you. And grow, bear the fruit that God's destined you to grow and to bear. If you're willing to get your hands dirty, you can be equipped and empowered to tend your own heart, to abide in Christ, to know what your gifts are, your spiritual gifts, your physical gifts, your emotional gifts, and to know exactly where your field is. Where has God called you? I hope that as I'm talking, you're getting a little excited and a little afraid. Because if, if, if you're not a little afraid, I'm thinking you don't want to get your hands dirty. We're about to step into something as a church that honestly we haven't done before. We're going to intentionally disciple people. We're going to disciple every generation. We have a plan. It's not a perfect plan. But it's a pretty darn good plan. And I am quite certain it's a plan from God. Only God can create soil and only God can produce seed. But we've been invited by God to partner in his work. We've been invited by God to cultivate life together as community. This means many more community groups. We have 12 of them right now. Praise God for those groups where life happens. I imagine 24 of those groups or 50 of those groups where life is being cultivated, Jesus is being worshipped, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being poured out, and believe unbelievers, just like Acts chapter 2, are walking into the kingdom. They're meeting Jesus, not for the first time in the church building, but where the church really does its work, in your living room, in your office place, at your kitchen table, in your classroom. So over the next couple of months, uh, we're going to do a series. I'm going to call it Seed and Soil. So the next five weeks will be our Seed and Soil series. Seed and Soil series. And we're going to talk about tending our own hearts, about knowing and sharing our own gifts, and finding and working in our fields. It's a call to action. So let me give you just a, a couple of details and lots more to come next week. Phase one of the Farmstead Project is called the Seed and Soil Initiative, all right? So the Farmstead Project is our vision to equip and empower 
all generations to be disciples who make disciples. And the first phase of that is the seed and soil initiative. And specifically in seed and soil, we're looking to, uh, to go after these three goals. We want to see communication and care really stepped up in the church. That means we're going to have to invest financially and physically in people and in technology. We're going to have to, to give some money to get some stuff. And we're going to have to, to uh, invest some money in people so that we can go after this discipleship culture. Secondly, we want to empower all generations. And that means we're going to have to raise some money to find some people who can help us in our community groups, in our children and youth area. Barry did that beautiful message a couple weeks ago, and he showed that video about the 414 window. All those kids whose hearts are open, ready for the gospel to be planted. And we just want to invest more time, more effort, more people, not necessarily more programs. Not necessarily more programs, but more people and more intentional investment in those kids who are just hungry for Jesus, who are the carriers of God's presence into those middle schools and junior highs and senior highs and colleges. So communication and care, that's administration, empowering all generations. That means some human resources and some expansion of our community group system. And finally, uh, really learning how to intentionally work our fields. That means local outreach and worldwide mission. This means a greater intentional focus on mission to the city. We're doing some great things. Chris, Jaros, the Matthews, their community nights team, we love what's happening there. We just want more. We want more kids from our, our community to be tutored. Maybe kids throughout the public schools in Indianapolis. We have access to public schools in Indianapolis to tutor kids. To, can you imagine Jesus tutoring a child? What would the impact on that child be? Well, that's what happens Wednesday nights with the Matthews. Jesus, through them, tutors children and infects the city with the gospel. I mean, that's real down to earth. We just want to do it about a thousand more times. So it means greater intentional focus on mission to the city where God has placed us and to the world to which God has called us. We've got more people this year, this last year than ever, who've gone on short-term mission trips. I just want to see it. Now I'm just making up numbers. I'm just letting you be honest. I want to see it doubled or tripled, right? The impact of crossing a border in the name of Jesus is sort of incalculable. If you've ever been on a mission trip, if you've ever gone out commissioned by Jesus to another language, culture, people, and saw what God does, it's astounding. Alex Vitalis, Alex Vitalis came up uh, last week or the week before. And share. You can just see it on him. The power of just walking across a border for the name of Jesus. And I want us all to be infected like that. Because the reality is we are all missionaries. You know, the word just means a sent one. You have been sent to the field in which you currently live. We want to see you equipped. We want to see you empowered. We want to see you released. We've got a group of young adults who are somehow sort of congregating around Irvington. It's like Irvington's blowing up with young adults right now, right? And like Jesus is hanging out in Irvington with them. And they want to, be go, out, they want to go out and serve their community in real practical, tangible ways. Now, the young adults in our, our, in our um, church, they're very wealthy. <laughs> oh, no, they're not, actually. 
What they have is a lot of fire and some time, right? We want to be able to invest in what they're doing in the city or what you're doing in, in the city. You know, why do we have to do vacation Bible school at here, here every summer? It's great to have 120 kids here, right? What if we had 50 kids, 10 places around the city? It would cost more money. It would take more people. And the impact for the kingdom would be immeasurable. That sounds fun to me. I did VBS this last. It was fun. I couldn't speak for a week, but it was great. We have a plan to become a church of disciples who make disciples. Next week, I'm going to introduce the Seed and Soil Initiative, those three phases. We'll start a fundraising camp, campaign, about $100,000 we'll be looking for. We already have 20000 of that committed. So we're on our way. I'm thrilled about that. You'll hear a lot more about that. You'll get pieces of paper with details and bullet points like you all love. And for the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about what it, talking about what it looks like to tend our hearts to abide in Jesus, to know, to cultivate, and to share our gifts and our resources, and to find the fields and work the fields, those places where God's called us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and I just want to close with this. Um, last Monday, uh, we were taking our youngest son back to IU, you know, that uh, beautiful conglomeration of 40,000 Jesus worshipers down in Indiana, Bloomington. That's, oh, I was prophesying there. My bad. I was prophesying. And um, so we're driving back up from Bloomington, and we're uh, right here. My directions are bad. We're right. We're on 69, uh, 465 getting off of 69, right? 465. We're just about to get onto 69. So we're right on the corner of the city. We're right there on the edge. Right there where all our people are, where everything happens. And again, because you can see I'm fixated, I'm thinking about the Farmstead Project. I'm thinking, what well, that message I'm going to give. And I'm starting to pray, God, you know, it's quiet in the car, and I'm just thinking, God, I do, I'm going to let you in on my secrets. Do we really know what we're doing? Do we really, I mean, is this, is this a good plan, God? I think you've given us this vision. I know you gave it to me. I think it's for the church. I think it's for now. But, like, God, come on, like, Really? I didn't ask him for a sign. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I was praying. Those were my prayers. And I'm just about to get up on 69, and there's a truck, a semi-trailer, right in front of me. And I look at it. It's going left, and I'm going right. And this was the sign. You have that sign? Not that sign, that other sign. There it is. This is the sign on the truck, all right? I, I'm praying, God, is this a good plan? And this is what I see. Providence Agriculture. Providence Agriculture. I don't know who this company is, but I want to invest in them. And their tagline is, before seed, beyond harvest. Before seed and beyond harvest. Well, you all don't know the story of Providence in my life. But at the lo- one of the lowest points of my life, God spoke to me through a book on systematic theology, chapter 16, by Wayne Grudem. The title of it? providence and God brought me back to himself through that chapter and when I ask God a question is this a good plan and God puts a providence agriculture truck in front of me and says by the way Randy we are right before the seed and we're going beyond the harvest I think that's a good day right that's a good day so I want you to stand 
And I'm going to invite you as we pray just to put your hands out. And under no compulsion here, you before the Lord, you can just decide, do I want to get my hands dirty? Do I want to get my hands dirty? Do I want to jump in? Do I want to become a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples of Jesus? Do I want to be planted in a field and do the hard work of cultivating life together? Do the hard work of weeding and experience the joy of the kingdom in and through these hands in the dirt. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this invitation to the harvest. We know, Lord, this is not our mission. We cannot make this happen. This is not our idea. God, we want to cooperate with you. You are the Lord of the harvest. You are the one who creates the seed and makes the soil and gives the rain and brings the growth. You are the reaper of the harvest. So, Lord, use these hands. Release faith down upon us. The faith of Peter when he spoke to to Jesus, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. God, use these hands. Give us empowered will to get these hands dirty, to do the work of the kingdom, that we might reap the benefits and see the harvest of the kingdom. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Change us and use us in the name of Jesus and for the sake of the world. Amen.